0: Incoming transmission from an unknown source. It seems to be urgent, patching them through. They're calling themselves the Holonet Marauders.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Holonet Marauders podcast. I'm joined here, I'm AJ, and I'm joined here by my Bombad Jedi pals, Jamie and Matt. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Good as always, I'm pretty good. I think yeah. we're doing great, actually, because yeah. Mandalorian has ended, which was it was a fun season. <laughs> it was. We thought we we thought we had a lull of Star Wars stuff, but um, we've had a lot of great books come out, which we're going to get into today. That's kind of the top for our episode, and we've had Jedi Survivor oh. come out, which is unbelievable. We're having That'll so much fun with that for a while. And we saw Return of the Jedi yesterday for the fortieth anniversary. The three yeah. of us. So yeah, in really theaters. Fun. Oh, that May Fourth awesome. is coming up, so there is a lot going on. But our guest today, you may know her from This Week in Star Wars, you may know her from the Star Wars Celebration live stage, uh, or you may just know her as a Star Wars author, Kristen Baver. How are you doing?
2: Hello, very well. How are you? We're doing, we're doing, doing fantastic, pretty so well. We're doing
1: pretty, yeah, pretty
2: good. <laughs> Thank All you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and I'm so excited that you guys just got to see Return of the Jedi in theaters again. Awesome.
1: Yeah, that was... Oh. That was crazy because the three of us, like, I don't know. We had, we've we never seen the OT on the big screen. That's the first for us.
0: That was first. Yeah, yeah. The three of us are prequel kiddo age. So, yeah. Return of the Jedi yeah. never was in theaters for us. But um, that was just, like, really cool to see. I feel like when we were watching it, there were so many things we had never seen before. Even though it's a movie we've seen, like, a million times. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: That happened for me when I went to see Empire Strikes Back with a live symphony. Like, they do it like, live. Oh, yeah. Movies. Yeah. So- it. And because it was a live music show, they also had subtitles on. And as I was watching *Empire Strikes Back*, uh I saw I was watching, and they're they're in the hut with Yoda, and he says like "root leaf stew." I make, and I was like, "I've never heard this line before. How have <laughs> I ever known that that is where this comes from?" Because I I know about root leaf stew, but I didn't know it was like in the movie somehow. I guess I thought there was something Jason Fry made up at some point and put in like a locations book and I, was like, I accepted it, but no, it's in the movie. Uh, and so just, I love that when you see these films on the big screen or just like in a, a different scenario that you always notice something new. I always notice something new in the background of a new hope too. Like if I get to see that in yeah. a movie theater, there's always something I've never looked at before in the cantina scene or you know, the droid lineup that all of a sudden, I'm like, how have I never noticed this? <laughs> I've watched this movie so many times.
3: And that's Jab- it, like, Jabba's Palace was, a, yeah. was an absolute gold mine. We are having a field day. <laughs> oh, my God. There was one Gamorrean when when R2 and 3PO and R2, re, you know, has the message from Luke. And Luke's like, oh, I gift you these droids. And, and 3PO's like, you're playing the wrong message. There's like a Gamorrean in the background. He's laughing his ass off. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's like those He's little touches so that much. the extras do. So good. It's so funny. Like, I just love that. I never oh, noticed him before. Chuckles yeah. the Gamorrean is what I call him. There.
1: <laughs> Chuckles.
2: Here's <laughs> the Jose Alder with his cannon mallet right now. Oh, we need there it. There we go. <laughs> cannon. Oh my yeah. gosh.
1: That's Aww. so good. Um, before we started off, off the air, Jamie mentioned that there's a Disneyland story.
0: Yeah, there's a Disneyland story. It's brief a Disneyland story. And uh Kristen, I'm not sure if you possibly recall this, but um Star Wars Celebration 2022. Um walking out a Star Wars night outside of Disneyland. You ran into us actually. Wait. Do you have did so, you give me the Bendu patch? Uh oh, no, oh, no, I, I gave okay. a postcard. I was wearing oh, um a jacket God. that looked like Tex Armor. Um okay. And I saw I heard someone behind me that was just like that's sex jacket or that's sex armor. That's really cool. Oh, you had, was, you yeah, had the Lula. And, um, yeah, I had the Lula like uh it, oh, that, yeah. Keychain, like, yeah. You know? okay. um, yes. Yes. Oh gosh, who was with us? Um Phil Sosak remember. was with us as well, I believe. Yes. I think. Wasn't oh, it? Sure. was with me. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah.
3: Cool. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Sure. yeah. It uh, wasn't with us. It wasn't he was with us. It was The entire situation. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. Regardless, <laughs> we ran into you um, oh, outside yeah. of Disneyland after Star Wars night. Um, and I remember it vividly, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was a that long was day. So.
1: We had our big flag with our logo on it. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was a fun yeah.
2: time. Yes, yes. Oh, we were waiting to cross the street. Yes.
1: On the yes. sidewalk, yeah. yeah. Yes.
4: Literally yes. on the sidewalk.
2: Okay. No, I remember. So that night, I had like two moments like that. That moment and Uh, there was another moment where I was walking near Galaxy's Edge and somebody stopped me and gave me this really cool bendy patch. I cannot remember her name right now to save my life. But it was funny because I went to Star Wars night with Phil Shostak and our good friend Lucas Seastrom, who's also a a Lucas Filmer uh, and a wonderful writer and historian. And we went and we like circled Galaxy's Edge. And then we were like, we should go ride Splash Mountain right now. There's no line. And then we went over there and did that. Uh, so that was why we didn't run into as many people because we were off riding Splash Mountain for probably the last time. Uh, and yeah. the the Indie ride, because uh, that's always a, a favorite. Oh, well. We
1: love yeah. the Indie ride. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, but nice to see you all again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, that was, I don't know. To go off Celebration, like I love the vibe of Celebration. <clears throat> we didn't get to go to London this year, but yeah. it's so fun to get... People give out stuff like the the patch you got there and stuff like that like i love that so much um.
2: the swag that everyone makes like there's there's the cool stuff that is the official stuff you know in the store or uh you, we always have some some giveaways at the live stage like we had a really great um sticker this year that was akbar and it was uh you know it, it's a trap <laughs> of some <laughs> sort uh I, th- I think it was it's a trap but it was like on a mind the gap symbol yeah, uh, I saw a picture
1: of oh, that. Oh, that's really good.
2: <laughs> yes. And like there's t-shirts and there's always there's always cool stuff that that's like the official capacity giveaway stuff or, you know, things you can purchase. And then there's like the amazing swag that everybody who comes to the convention brings. And I always think those things are my favorite because they're so creative and you know, they don't worry about, you know, is this the is this the official logo for this is this what the model of this creature looks like you know it's just it's pure fun and joy and you know such a, a nice expression of how much everybody loves Star Wars and yeah. so I, I love when I get the chance to actually you know trade some some swag although last time I think in Anaheim actually maybe I gave you these patches if I had them on me still i had some like vintage star wars fan club patches that i had just like found a big box of and i was like well when people give me swag i will have something to give them at least (laughs) because i didn't say anything but i was like this is cool i hope this is cool and people were really happy about it so uh, it was just it was nice to to be able to feel like you know when when somebody's so generous and and wants to to give you something like that it's like i always want to have something to to give in return because otherwise it feels like odd like oh thank you for the gift but yeah yeah and i mean it's,
1: it's fun to trade
2: it's yeah. yeah really given it, it's not intended for you know somebody to uh to always have like a transactional trade-off but but it's yeah. nice when you can
4: yeah oh, Just,
2: like, the designs <laughs> of, like those patches that people trade and then they like form a a Voltron pass
0: yeah, like uh, it's like oh collect like all like five or six yeah. of them it's i have like a few just like random like ones that like i'm never going to complete the set cuz i never found everybody um but yeah our, our first celebration we ended up doing um i learned about the swag trading like right before we went and this was for mm-hmm. like Chicago and so i like panicked and i bought 50 postcards in the lobby of my office building in boston <laughs> that literally just said greetings from boston uh, <laughs> wow. um that and and it worked and it i just good. like find like that back i was like oh a sign at the time it was just B holland marauders didn't exist yet so i was like oh from jam the jedi and boston kylo and i was like these are my this is my swag and so for anaheim i commissioned a friend to draw our logo who drew our logo also she like made our like droid like on vacation because she's in anaheim um and i was really looking forward to making a london one as well but didn't happen so Next yeah.
2: time. <laughs> awesome. You know, I hope you guys get to go to Japan. I hope I get to go to Japan. Gotcha. Uh, I hope we're all there together because I'm really excited about just, you know, getting to experience celebration in a different location is always really cool because it's accessible then to so many more people that maybe didn't get to go to the last one, you know, or if you skip the last one, you know, now hopefully you're able to to come to the next one. Uh, but it, I just also love Celebration. Uh, my first Celebration was actually Orlando in 2017. And I was not working at StarWars.com full-time yet, but I was a freelancer. So I was there you know, working, but really just kind of like meeting the whole team for the first time and seeing Celebration from that perspective for the first time was really fascinating. Um, and I just remember like falling so much more deeply in love with, with star Wars at celebration, which is funny to say, cause it's like, I loved it already, but sometimes, uh, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania in like a pretty small area. And I had a couple friends who liked star Wars too, but it can feel a little bit like when you're not surrounded by other star Wars fans, it can feel a little bit like, Oh, this is just something that I like, but, you know, maybe not everyone likes it. That's okay. You know, and you have kind of your little group of, of people who love it, uh, you know, as much as you do, who you can talk about things and get excited for things. And hopefully they're, you know, I have friends who in Pennsylvania who are reading the same books that I am so then we can talk about it. And, you know, then to go into celebration and see just how massive the love for it is and how many people yeah. love it, um, you know, is really just kind of staggering that first time, it, especially if you're coming from a place where you feel like, you know, people love it because Star Wars has never gone away. But if you don't have that one-to-one interaction, talking to other people who love it and that just, you know, feeling of we're all part of the same community, um, you know, there's just nothing like it.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely you walk into Celebration and you just look around, you go, these are my people. This you is all, and yeah. you just yeah. boom, yes. you just settle right in for three or four days, you're just...
2: yes. Well, and before my first celebration, I remember, like, because, so that was 2017, so for the last, like, two years, Star Wars had been spooling up again with Force Awakens, and so you were starting to see more people come out as Star Wars fans, and either they would be talking about the new movie, or they'd be wearing a t-shirt, and so I would just start, like, in the grocery store talking to people randomly if they had a Star Wars shirt, because I was like, friend, we are, we like something the same, let's discuss. Um and, but then you get into celebration, and you're like, oh, I can't possibly talk to everyone here. Right. <laughs> like,
1: <"Hi." laughs> I tried one day at the last celebration, and I, uh, I, uh, I had to go back <laughs> to the hotel room because I was. Uh, I
0: you get pretty burnt out pretty, pretty quickly. The <laughs> legendary yeah. Friday. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: to go off celebration, while we're on the topic, I had a question for you about like what is it like being at the heart of, of the Star Wars galaxy on the Star Wars live stage? I know you did a lot of those. We watched you. Um, on the live stream from here, uh, interviewing a bunch of different people that whole weekend. But like, what is that like interviewing legendary guests like on that stage?
2: Yeah, I had to start keeping a list on day two, because there were so many of them that I was like, I was starting to forget as I was trying to kind of like retell to, to my friends like, Oh, my God, this day has been amazing. I got to talk to this person, this person, this person. And then I was like, Oh, no, I forgot someone really essential. <laughs> and so I was just like, I was keeping a list on my phone. And just like taking the, the note cards that we had up on stage, like back in a little pile. So, you know, cause when you're, when you're in kind of the heat of that much excitement and just like the craziness of a live production, you don't really get to to sit back and reflect on it until the end of the day. Like there's not a lot of time even in between to really like sit back and you, feel the moment. Um, so kind of like every day you're 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 sitting back and reflecting on it, at least I was, and thinking like, I can't believe that happened. And everyone saw it and it was recorded. And I can go back and look at it. It's not just like a story that I, I have to tell and be like, no, for real, I met this person. It's like, no, we had a whole conversation and everybody saw. Uh, <laughs> but it's so bizarre and surreal, I think, to be at the heart of it, to answer your question. Um, you know, I had not done the live stage fully in Anaheim because I was working on a lot of editorial, and so just tr- to try to be in panels, but also on the live stage, I need to clone myself. So, okay. you know, in Anaheim, I was I did some things with the the live program, and I went out and did a couple of like packages, um, but I was doing a lot of you know running around the convention center covering panels at the time, so I wasn't able to participate as fully so this was the first year for me that i was able to to just be there constantly for the four days um you know and and do those interviews on the stage and there's just for me like one of the greatest joys of my job is getting to talk to the the amazingly talented creators who are making the new star wars uh, and getting to ask them questions just about their process and their favorite thing and uh you know one thing i love to talk, to people about when they first come into Star Wars is find out how they got introduced to Star Wars in the first place you know now they're working on it but what was their entry point as a fan or you know who showed it to them as a child or maybe they missed the boat on it entirely until adulthood and that's okay too you know i just i love hearing those stories and just talking to people about being a part of it because I think everybody now that Lucasfilm has been around for over 50 years, almost everybody who walks in was a fan first. And now they get to play in that sandbox. And so it's just a, a really just lovely feeling to to get to, to sit in that moment with those creators and talk to them about that. Um, but also, especially like with the live stage, because you know, we have the. We have the the benefit and the joy of getting to do those types of interviews, you know, throughout the year for various reasons. You know, as Mandalorian's coming out, you know, we get to sit down and talk to Pedro and John and Dave and Rick and Katie. And then, you know, when you have the live stage situation, it's totally different, I think, because even though a lot of those folks are, you know, actors or directors or producers, you know, they've been in front of huge crowds it's it's a little overwhelming, I think, for some of them to come out on the live stage and just be completely enveloped 360. Like there's that catwalk and then there's the the area around the forge where we were sitting. And it was just people as far as the eye could see out, like fanning out from that.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, and I think it was Tony Gilroy who actually said, you know, that it was kind of overwhelming because as a writer, you know, showrunner, behind the scenes person, you know, you don't normally see that element of you know, just the crush of people who are so excited about the thing that you made, and just that pure joy energy kind of rippling off of them. Um, so that was really just wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question or if I'm just going on and on. No, and yeah, it's
1: good <laughs> to hear it. The emotions of it is what I wanted yeah, to hear. It. I mean, you, not, you nailed it. You're giving us emotions, that's for sure. And uh,
2: okay, it's just,
1: right. it's just something I had to ask because you know, we we're watching that all weekend. and You can see the crowd and we've been in it, you know, at Anaheim and Chicago when we've gone, like we've been in that crowd and uh, seeing Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor come out at Anaheim, like like we got goosebumps. Oh my goodness. It's like being at a rock concert or something. Like it's, it's so cool.
2: Yeah. When Ewan came out this time to, uh, to, to thank everybody, um, (laughs) I didn't have to be up there. So I took that moment to like sneak out the side door and just stand at like the edge of the crowd to kind of experience it from that. Sign from that yeah. point of view uh, for a moment. And yeah, it's just, it's really amazing to see what, what happens, I guess, at Celebration that's totally unscripted and, you know, unexpected. And I think the live stage is also really amazing for that because, you know, you have the panels and you get the schedule and sometimes you get kind of a rough rundown of who might be on the panels or you can kind of, you can guess based on, you know, if the description says, hey, we're going to talk about the Mandalorian. You can bet that John and Dave will be there, you know. Yeah. But with the live stage, it's like every single time one, you know, one of the me or Christina or Anthony Carboni would would pop out on stage, it would be like you have no idea who we're about to bring up. <laughs> um, and so I just love love the the surprise element of it too. Yeah. Um,
1: exactly.
0: It, it always it always baffles me just to, like how well you guys this is sorry, this is a little compliment for you guys, but it always baffles me how well like the Love live stage is like, always ran. <laughs> No, I'm serious though, because like um live productions are always a nightmare, regardless. Like AJ Matt and I like all like know that personally, but like seeing like uh seeing the live stage like do this like so well and like it, it is a very long stream as well. Um and the fact that like it's sometimes a surprise for you guys as well, I'm just like oh, <laughs> oh my god um it's it's incredible to see that as like a viewer and it's always like really cool to just like see you guys absolutely crushing it every time too
4: thank
2: you Yeah. well and i have to say so much of that is the people working tirelessly behind the scenes yeah. for the yeah. month beforehand to, to put it together the you know the belgian prop crew and the the fans in germany who make the the amazing stage you know just from that element alone it really just like it sets the tone for everything that that's, yeah. that's going to happen, uh you know, on that stage. Versus if it was just a couple of chairs and a and a black curtain, you know, like it, it really just it makes it feel so immersive and so unique. And all that starts you know months beforehand, but but also the people who are working just tirelessly behind. Oh, <laughs> You know, five days, five plus days, I would say, you know, with like rehearsals and setups, but you know, just getting us through to those closing ceremonies. Uh, it's really something amazing to see. Uh, you know, just all the hard work and and love and passion that goes into it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh yeah. You mentioned it's funny you mentioned that when you talk to these people, you like to hear how they got into Star Wars. Cause that's that's always a question we that's our go to question too, yeah. right? That's always a question. question. For For you, how did you get into Star Wars and how did you get to the point where you are now, you know, working for Lucasfilm, doing a bunch of different stuff?
2: Yeah. Sometimes I look back and I honestly think, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how I I lucked out quite that much with, you know, timing and, you know, being in this position. Um, But I will say a a big part of it was, uh, you know, perseverance and, you know, it's a very circuitous route, I think, I took to, to get to my current role and the work I get to do now. But, you know, five years before I started, I didn't even know this job existed or that it was a possibility. But to back up all the way to the beginning of the, my Star Wars fan origin story, um, I think it's probably it's a very you know similar tale to a lot of folks. But I remember distinctly, I think I discovered them on the Sci-Fi channel back in the day when they were showing those um and it was pre, pre pre-release of the special editions but like right on the cusp of it. So I think, you know, now in hindsight I understand how these things work and that they were probably spooling up and getting people excited and showing, you know, the original 3 um, you know, in syndication and also uh after I watched them on the Sci-Fi channel, I'm our parents bought us the the three VHS set that would almost immediately go out of date as the special editions came out and were updated. Uh, but we had it long enough that we watched that Return of the Jedi tape so many times that we broke it. And then we had to go to the mall and go to a uh, a movie store and try and find that, because we were very particular, that specific version, you know, and it was the kind that has like the half faces on all of yeah. the, oh, yeah. the yeah. box So it was like the half face Yoda. And I was like, we need to find this version of Return of the Jedi before it's no longer available. Uh, and we were able to find a replacement, thank goodness. But my sister still has those tapes. She will not give them to me. Oh. <laughs> and, I and I think it's hilarious because I'm like, but I work there. And she's yeah, like, right? no, no, we still watch them sometimes. So I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, so it was like a very, what was really interesting to me, I think being a kid discovering it that way, was that when I first discovered it, watching it, it felt very much like I had just discovered something, even though the movies had been out point of order for like 20 years at that point. But I didn't know, because you know, you're a kid, and it's new to you. So you think it must be brand new to the whole world. And I remember trying to tell my parents about it and they were like, yeah, we know, (laughs) like we've seen this. And I was like, but this is really good. And they were like, "Mm, yeah, we thought you would probably get into this at some point. Um, And I also, I got two of the action figures around the same time for Christmas. And I can't remember now, my parents might remember but I can't remember if I saw the movies first or if they got me the action figures first. But I think I probably had like started to watch them watch the films and get excited about them. Uh, But I got Chewbacca and R2-D2 from the Power of the Force collection. Oh, yeah. And uh, those figures, like, not only did that, I think, really uh, ignite something in in my love of of Star Wars. Because I remember I had them by the time the Special Editions came out, and then I wanted to, like, take them with me to the theater. (laughs) But my mom was like, no, you're going to lose them. Don't do that. (laughs) So I didn't get to take them with me. But... I it's it started this whole like collector mentality for me uh you know as a kid I had never been a big collector of other you know fandoms or items you know I had like a smattering of a lot of different toys but with this one in particular because I you you have such a connection to those different characters and their stories and you 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 want to have that you know version of it that you can hold in your hand and display on your shelf or put on your desk or you know play with and so it really ignited and touched off this whole spark of you know i remember us going to all these different toy stores and trying to find the c3po in that line and failing miserably for months and like asking people who worked at the store when do you get your shipments can we come in on a tuesday you know if you get one like how early do you open when can we get this you know how can we find this toy and, you know, just like the, the thrill of the hunt in that was was so much fun. And it was something mm-hmm. that, you know, my family, you know, did together on the weekends. Um, and, you know, now sometimes when I'm buying the Black Series and I think this is a very expensive habit that started very early on, <laughs> you know, and then I think like, oh, maybe maybe I shouldn't have bought all of these Star Wars figures over the years. But no, I'm, I'm really glad I have them. And yeah. I keep it's buying them.
4: It. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Golfs keep getting better, you know. Like, uh, no, no shade to the power of the force line because I love it. I still have all of mine, but you know, technology has improved. They now scan, you know, the everybody and the the pieces, and you know, can can do the 3D modeling and by computer. And also, just in the last few years, when they started doing that um, photoreal, yeah, oh, oh yeah. Notes. Oh I was just like game changer, and I was like, I need to buy everything. <laughs>
3: so. and for reference, here's a Power of the Force figure, one hey, of my favorites, hey. Buff Vader. Buff
2: Vader, I love it. just
3: take take the head off a of He-Man and put put Vader on it, and yeah, call it a day.
2: <laughs> I think the cape kind of comes off on that one.
3: Oh yeah, the cape is yeah. hard plastic, and the cape you just kind of
2: but it comes off, and then
3: yank it was off. Like,
2: when do you need this? When is yeah. they ever just walking around like that? Look know. at this. Look at it. he looks naked now. He does, right? Yeah, oh, it like, looks
4: odd.
2: And I'm sure they that. did it for manufacturing reasons at the time or for playability because, you know, I do remember he couldn't sit in vehicles unless you took that cape off. Oh, uh, uh, there, there it, it is. is. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. This yeah. thing is like hard, like <laughs> hard plastic.
4: It's
1: so. Yeah, I miss the thrill of the hunt. I know everything's mostly. Yes. getting in, getting in a queue online and trying to buy something panicking. All the new but, stuff. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Pre-pandemic um, we mentioned him earlier, but my friend Phil Shostak, who, who many people who are listening know as well. Um, pre-pandemic he and I would occasionally go to our local Target and try and find things in the wild. Cause he's also oh, a yeah. big And right. that was so much fun. Although I do remember distinctly once um, we went to Target and he saw the Padme in Black Series first, and there was only one. And so then, and he got to take it home. And I was like, oh. "Oh, this is this is the problem with going out hunting with another person who wants the same things that you do, because now like there's is there going to be a fist fight in the Target? No, but <laughs> you know, I was like, "Oh no, we have to find some like rule of who gets to have it. It's the person who saw it first. Like that's fair.
4: That's
2: yeah. fair. <laughs> and Phil is also uh, the best at recognizing when pre-orders are coming up and either reminding me or frequently he'll just be like, I pre-ordered you one of these. Cause I know you're going to want it. And I was like, thank you for looking out though. So awesome. He deserved that Padme first because he's, he's paid me back in spades now making sure that I get all those pre-orders uh, that I need online.
1: Well, that's good. That's good.
3: That's um, yeah. I miss, I miss the hunt even more. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Talk about you know you you can't find black series in the store you're you're
1: up a river yeah. for the I'm looking collection. at all my figures around me I'm like do I have any me in cars?
0: in no. the in the past handful of years like because like pre-ordering pre has become so common for like all the new figures we whenever like three of us like hang out we tend to just like go to like random um, secondhand stores or thrift stores or even like old like figure stores we find like the dustiest oldest like stores oh, like ever so funny you, you have like an asthma attack like when you like walk in even if you don't have asthma um, but like we always find something really silly and it's fantastic because like it's always like the weirdest things too because like Matt like loves like aliens and like everything in like the background. So like we we find like these like wild things. Like Yes. It's that like Yoda took They're Matt Yoda. like a full like year to like hattle with the guy. Like,
3: they were charging it's... fifty dollars for it and I didn't want to pay fifty, so I just waited. And, and I bartered and
0: I want it to be known this, this Yoda looks like crap in person. Oh, it, it like he looks awful. If you
3: think he looks bad now,
0: <laughs>
2: look at him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's my bad. son and I love him. <laughs> okay. Oh we there we go. One yeah. of that we love. <laughs> it's, and, it's a good one. Yes. This is yeah. perfect. But I mean, but yes, I'm, I'm not gonna say one of these looks more screen accurate than the other. That hmm. would definitely that. be this one. <laughs> and that, yeah. it would be yours. It would be yours, Matt. Yeah. yeah. But right. you know, we can love our sons equally. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. There still is the element of the thrill of the hunt
0: and like thrifting is so much fun because of that now.
2: Um, And and actually just a real quick aside, um, when I was collecting Power of the Force as a kid, one of my favorite things that I bought wasn't even Power of the Force, but was a vintage Java that we found at like a flea market style, like secondhand place. Um, And I remember when I bought it because I thought, I didn't even know this existed. This is amazing. And, you know, of course... Kids for 20 years had been playing with this thing, but it was new to me and it was, you know, pre-sour know, the, the internet and really, you know, understand everything that was out there and what the value was. So I don't remember how much we paid for it, but then that touched off a secondary hunt because now I had a thing I didn't know existed and I needed a salacious crumb to go with it. And so we were just constantly trying to find little Kowakian monkey lizards to go uh-huh. with this job of the hut, but it's still one of my favorite action figures because just the sculpt is beautiful and the it has like three piece mobility where you the tail moves, nice. and the whole body kind of rides wow, really. and it's
3: it's a beauty. Well, again, so we're currently looking for the uh phantom menace Jabba that uh, eats slime. Oh the slime
1: comes out of his mouth
3: yeah slime comes out of his
2: mouth. His yeah, yeah. 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 Of
0: his that's mouth. a good one. We yeah. got every once in a while we have a new holy girl and then we then we find mm-hmm. our holy girl. And then there's yeah. another new one that's to be ready to go. So that's <laughs> how it
3: goes. And it's always Phantom Menace merch. It's
1: <laughs> for some yeah. reason. Yeah. It's it. yeah it's there there a whole thing.
3: Vintage video game convention uh, me and AJ went to like a month ago. We walked in, we cleared them out of Phantom Menace merch, and then and we, we left. left. And we didn't even realize we did it until we were driving home. I go, do you know what we just did? We just walked in, bought everything Phantom Menace, and just walked out. <laughs> um, uh, another
1: anyway. thing we collect, to a good segue here, uh, is Star Wars books. Yes. So we're here. The reason we have you here today is to talk about your book, uh, Star Wars wow. 100 Objects, which is amazing we were lucky enough to get it early and also oh. show the other one it's very heavy a lot of lot of material in here oh, as yeah. uh, yeah. timelines which you also worked yes. on so yes. um, Thank
0: you. these are both yeah. like super super cool reference books um that i was amazing. not expecting and also like specifically like 100 objects like i wasn't expecting a reference book like this because oh my god i have there's so much going on and i, I love it though
1: oh <laughs> small I mean, thing aside know. small thing aside i know you don't have anything to do with probably like the size of the book, but I love the size of the book because usually I'm fumbling around with the visual dictionaries and stuff. But like, yeah, it's very like I can I can bring this to bed and flip through it in bed much easier or something.
3: Instead of yeah, instead of having like this big this big, like uh, huge tome in front like of me, tan- yeah. like tanning on the roof, but like with a book.
2: <laughs> it is like that, yes. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I don't have anything to do with the size. You are correct, but the brilliant people at DK decide. You know, what makes the most sense for format and all that. But uh, when I was doing research for it, I had like a number of digital resources that I was reading. And then I also had just a ton of my visual dictionaries that I don't know if you can see, but they're down here um, that I still have, you know, the hard copy of. And so just my floor would be lined with them open to the correct pages. So I could just like move down the line and keep really reading cool. about the same <laughs> item or person or you know whatever I was researching that day and it was a little unwieldy you're right it was like seven of them open at all times it was just like covering the floor uh or sometimes I had them like lined up against like the the back of my uh couch and I would just like flip through and people like okay and that's all right we have that one okay we're gonna use this and yeah it was they're so big um and they're beautiful but I was really happy with the way 100 objects turned out. Um, I also think just big shout out to John Hall, who's the designer on it, who was also a designer uh, on parts of timelines, uh, because one designer, just like one author, shouldn't write all the timelines. One designer shouldn't have to do all the timelines like that is a beast of a project. It's yeah, huge. that's one. That's, lot I, on that's so one I can't flip
1: through for. in bed as easily yes, <laughs> that's, that's a yeah, huge one. one.
2: <laughs> but we did it on, uh, I think, solely as the designer for 100 objects and very early on, I remember him showing me the, his idea for you know how to how to present things because I think we knew we didn't want to do the visual uh, guide style of just on white because you know especially having just one object as the, the focal point in each spread, uh, you know it felt like it could get a little it could be a little bland just visually. Because a lot of the items are like gray and brown (laughs) and like sand colored. Um, You know, there's not a a huge amount of color. So I thought it was just a stroke of genius that very early on he was like, I'm going to put all these different pops of color in and, you know, this is the background and, you know, just a really beautiful job of, of making all of those items that we picked feel really special and unique on those pages. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love how um, before we like even like started like diving into it I was just flipping through and it looked like um, really you're at like a museum archive and then I'm reading through and like the first thing you know is you're like oh so I wanted to make this because it seems like it's visiting a museum and yeah. I thought that was the coolest thing like up front. Um, So like what was like that process like of deciding hey this is like a museum tour and like how did that go coming about that decision?
2: Yeah so I think a lot of it came from uh, this was one of those rare for me instances where the the book idea you know, came from me and then went through the the channels. Usually, uh, in my experience, it's been a case of we want to do this book and we think you would be the right person to write it. And I'm always like, yes, deal, put me in. Uh, but this was a case where I just come off of Skywalker uh, Family at War, which is also you know written in that kind of in world history voice.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I just, I loved that exploration of trying to figure out, you know, how would, how would somebody describe the Skywalker family and everything they've done, uh, you know, with, with some authority, but also, you know, as a biographer and coupled with the fact that I've been to a number of Star Wars exhibits in real life and just know how important it is to be able to be up close and personal. With some of those, you know, items and costumes, like the last one, I think I went to was Star Wars Identities. I don't know if you guys had a chance to go to that, as it was touring, uh, but it was a really fascinating exhibit that both showcased all of the costumes and some of the props—not all of the costumes, a lot of the costumes, some yeah. of the props—and really, you know, told the story of how different characters, um, you know their their journey and evolution and you know the different identities that we see explored throughout star wars and i just i loved that i love that exhibit so much i believe in that in that exhibit they have one room where you go in and it's just padme's funeral and so it's the gown from the funeral scene laid out you know with with everything and then it's just like this beautiful room that you just stand in and it's just so awe inspiring so having had that experience being just a kid who loved museums and an adult who has planned entire vacations around museums. (laughs) Um, And then also like, I think the final piece that kind of slotted it all into place for me was through my work, I've had the chance to get to know our physical archives people uh, at Lucasfilm and Every once in a while they bring out props and we do a segment or an article and I get to see things or with permission, every once in a while I get to put on the gloves and I get to hold the Skywalker lightsaber oh my <laughs> in my hand. <laughs> and having had that like extra additional piece of it, you know, where I'm experiencing it as everyone else who gets to go through the museum is experiencing it. And then I'm experiencing this like weird behind the scenes moment that almost no one gets to do. And I recognize that. And so I thought, like, how can we bring these two things together in in a way that, you know, if you don't if you can't hold this this object in your hands, can we explore a way that, you know, this would be almost like a museum guide to an exhibit that, you know, unfortunately, I would love to go to this museum exhibit. But if you can't go to it, you know, what would the guide look like? And if you were in this museum exhibit, you know, what would the stories be that would be next to on the plaques next to all of these items, because these are items of note and of value, and they have their own story to tell. But when you glance at them, you may not know that story.
1: Yeah, I just think it's such a genius idea to have a Star Wars, uh, like in universe, uh, in universe museum, as Mm -hmm. I was saying, like, in in a book, like I was reading through it. I was doing the same as Jamie, where I I read through all of it and um, went through all of it, and then I went back to the beginning, which is a weird way to read it. I was like, "Oh, she did want it to feel like a museum," um, <laughs> and I know I think this was Jamie's question we had on our list, but like, what was what's one of your favorite museums um, you've been to? In, like real in, life museums. in
2: our world. What's well, yeah. one of yeah. in the real world? Yeah, it's hard because I feel like in every country I have a favorite which is weird yeah, <laughs> maybe. Right.
3: Yeah, it's no, pretty cool yeah weird, yeah but...
2: i think my favorite uh in in the states is uh, the air and space museum in the smithsonian mm, yeah. yes mm-hmm. it's one i went to a lot as a kid because we lived like three hours away so we would frequently go on vacation and go down to dc and you know go to the museums but that was the one that uh you know i feel like is so transformative both because i'm a, a I was a kid who loved sci-fi and you know space and all of that which I think a lot of kids identify with but also because well this is a full circle moment I didn't even intend but in 1997 they had an exhibit of Star Wars items and I got to go see it twice and so like just that as an entry point of being a person who loves museums but now the thing that i also love watching is in the museum uh you know, probably it didn't click for me until right this moment but that probably was like the the first kernel of what would become this idea many years later um yeah. because that experience was really amazing and i just remember like hovering around yoda in the in his you know little shielded <laughs>
4: Um,
2: Because I couldn't believe that I was like standing in front of Yoda. Um, And you're just like that magic and awe, which never really goes away because we actually have a Yoda in uh, for a long time. He was in the uh, in the lobby of uh, industrial light and magic in a case. And I remember my first day at on the job. They gave us a tour, and I was like that kid again, just like hovering around the Yoda, being like, "What's well, here?" You know. And then, of course, in my mind, I'm like, "You're a professional adult who has a job here now. Don't be weird," you know. But that's just in my head. <laughs> I, I
3: can't imagine everybody's able to control no. themselves in, the, in those <laughs> oh, situations.
2: No, it's Yoda. It's, it's Yoda. exactly. Oh my, oh my god. god, I can't even imagine. Yeah, but I just real quickly, just in terms of museums, I think every place I visited. Uh, and I've had the chance, uh, luckily, to do some traveling you know, pre-pandemic, especially. And like, there's always a really amazing museum. I think in every you know, city or you know, country that I've I visited, uh, you know, like London, uh, I love going to the Victoria and Albert um, Museum. Um, and of course, you know, the British Museum. You got to go see the Rosetta Stone. If you go to London, it's like the must. <laughs> you got to go see. It. <laughs> Quite, it's quite small uh, co- comparatively to what you might expect. Uh, with Paris, you would think it would be the Louvre, but it's not. It's the, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it probably, so sorry to anyone who knows for French, but it's the Musee d'Orsay. And it's like in an old train station, and oh, they have cool. a ton kind of Van Gogh's, and it's just, uh, it's a really fantastic collection. So I just, I, I love museums, and I love um, taking that. That excitement and passion, and taking my love of Star Wars and like glomming them together in one idea,
1: and that's yeah. what this is, and yeah, that, that's yeah,
2: perfect. isn't that and this is the creation. So, if, I do, um,
1: yeah, go ahead, Jimmy. I was
0: gonna say to flip that now. Um, so back, back in Star Wars, <clears throat> excuse me, back in um, back in Star Wars thoughts. Uh, if you were to place this collection some mm-hmm. in some museum in the galaxy, where would you place it? Like, what planet or oh, what city oh, wow. not, would you place it?
2: yeah uh i would definitely put it on coruscant
0: yes
1: <laughs> it makes sense
2: um, yeah and especially now having seen andor and Luthen's gallery i feel like this belongs even more in star wars than i initially had intended when i thought of the idea um but, yeah, I would I would put it in Coruscant, but it wouldn't be a shop where you could buy things. It would actually be, like, free and open to the public. It would be, like, yeah. the Smithsonian of Star Wars. <laughs>
1: awesome. That'd be so cool if they had <laughs> something perfect. like that. But, yeah. Yes. What was...
2: Right near the, the peak that you can touch, because I feel like that whole area is, like, very... Uh, educational space, maybe. Oh yeah,
0: the, uh, the park at uh, Umat. So I would want to yeah. put it
2: right there. If I, if oh. we're like getting that nitty gritty in terms of like where am I putting this building? <laughs> and then they <laughs> can have awesome they well. can have the
3: droids come up to you and yell at you. You know, oh, don't touch.
2: Yes. So it's, yes. it's perfect. They are in the security. Poor you know, Dr. Pershing. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh.
1: when you were coming up with the book, like, what was what was one item you had on your list that had to be in this? Like, what was the number one? item that was like, maybe there was a few of them that you were like, Oh, these have to be in here.
2: Yeah. I think the first five or 10 were actually really easy to come up with because they felt like if we don't put this in the book, what are we even doing? (laughs) You know, like Skywalker saber, number one, um, Darth Vader's helmet, but I was very particular with that one where I, I said, like, because we're treating it like these things are real. We also need to uh, have the helmet all melty and crazy from force awakens. Um, but which is funny because then I completely ignored the fact that it turns to dust and rise of Skywalker, but I was like, it's fine. It's okay. Like we don't have to get that nitty gritty, but in my mind, I do want it to be like bent and twisted and and crazy and and post return of the Jedi at least. Um, what else did we have that is absolutely on the list? some of them it wasn't an item it was actually like something from this person like i knew i wanted something from yoda but i didn't know what i wanted because i also didn't want 100 objects to be 50 lightsabers and 50 other objects yeah so you know we we tried to be really careful with the the process of choosing things so that you know when you looked at it as a whole there's a couple lightsabers for sure But it wasn't, you know, heavily weighted to any one type of object or heavily weighted to any one era or character. Like, I think Anakin gets three items and he's probably he probably has the most of any individual because it's Anakin Mm -hmm. Darth Vader. You know, he he gets he gets some extras. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But for for other characters, it was like, okay, you know, what do we want that's emblematic of this character? But also, you know, something that isn't going to say you know this book is 50 percent lightsabers yeah. <laughs> and other things so we have that lightsaber book already so. exactly yeah. oh true. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah we don't we don't need to reinvent the wheel here there is a lightsaber book if you want only lightsabers um you know this one we were very choosy then like dark sabers in there ahsoka's lightsabers um and some of those were items too that i just thought a they have a great story but b you know ahsoka's lightsabers just the fact that we have a physical prop that i can use in yeah. this book is amazing
3: yeah um, you kind of have to put in it at that point you do to...
2: yeah so i think that was one of like the the top ones too and that's probably very early on where i decided i have to be careful about how many lightsabers mm-hmm. and helmets i'm putting in here because it's very easy to fill the whole book with just those you know kind of iconic looks yeah yeah i so
1: think that's... you had a great balance of different things now that I you mentioned so it i didn't Oddly enough, I didn't think of that as I'm going through it. Like, oh, there's a lot of lightsabers, a lot of helmets. Or I didn't come up with that idea to make this book. That makes sense. That would be like, oh, we don't want th- these. are These are the great things in Star Wars. But we want other things. Like you have Klieg Lars's chair. Yes. Um, yes. I think you you have the Nymodian chair in there too. I yes. So there's a, oh good, there's a good selection of chairs.
2: So what's good funny chair. about that is uh, like one of the the things that I did in preparation for this book was I had the chance to go up to Skywalker Ranch and talk to the Ark archivist there too, Layla French. And she kind of led me on this tour of some of the items that they had just to kind of wrap my head around what's possible as we were making the list. And she has such a collection of chairs. So then this became the thing where like five of my items on my first 100 list were chairs. And then I started to realize it's too many chairs, actually. So we had to start, you know, picking and choosing Uh, Like one of the ones that didn't make it was a handmaiden's chair. It's very beautiful. It has, you know, some, some uh, flower stitching in it that I hadn't really noticed before from on screen. And, you know, initially it's on the list and then it got taken off the list, but replaced by Corday's robe, which is the best handmaiden item I could possibly come up with. Um, And once I think it was Layla who suggested it, once we had that in our mind, once I had that in my mind, I was like, "There's no other handmade object for me. It is this one. This tells an amazing story, um, and also it reminded me of something that you really would see in a museum that is so, you know, breathtaking and tells a story even before you get to the plaque. You know, you see it from across the room, and you have to know what is why is that dress burned like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the kind of thing if I saw across the room, I would rush over and immediately read that and ignore." everything else in my path just to find out what that story was.
3: And yeah you mentioned story and I actually have to run uh, real yes, quick. I'm sorry Matt. No 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 worries. I'm going to the airport. I'm going to Disney World. You go I, I know, yeah you go to complain. Disney. It's fine. I can't <laughs> complain. Um, but I do want to ask, mm-hmm. uh, what is your favorite story from each era from the book?
2: I'm gonna have to refer to the text. Hang on, my goodness. The uh, text. <laughs> I know, like, I literally know. Have that page literally it because blew my eyebrows off. I
3: absolutely <laughs> love the sacred Jedi texts, those are like my favorite.
2: You know what? I do love the, the Jedi texts from First Order era, and that was also an interesting one because we were trying to figure out where to place it because it technically could be pre Republic era, right? Yeah. But we didn't want to get that deep in the weeds because we also we were cognizant that somebody coming to this book in our galaxy might think, hey, I discovered that in The Last Jedi, so that's the the era where I'll find it. So right. we mm-hmm. kind of went with more discovery order of where things are versus chronological necessarily. Um, in the Republic era, I'm gonna say it's actually for me, oh my goodness, no, it's like choosing my my favorites. The like, favorites like are always a tough darlings that, yeah. yeah it's it's you know Cordy's robe. we're gonna go Cordy's robe.
1: there we I go I love it
2: about, uh Imperial era it's actually the stormy doll I love that one so much yeah. oh and yeah and yeah, that is a good one that it's peeking out from here oh I, oh, I see it. him oh I see him he's, <laughs> he's hiding back there yeah oh yeah um the High Republic yes from from Batu. <laughs> but also I thought just like what a nice way to balance out there's you know it's it's a war it's Star Wars there's a lot of weapons there's a lot of um, instruments of war, and this is just something that's so uh, innocent in all of that and I think really explores another aspect of the storytelling uh, that was really fun to do. And then New Republic era is really tough, but I'm actually going to go with the the uh, gaffy stick. I know that's not what it says in the book. It's It actually says... Uh, other form of the word that i do not feel confident in pronouncing (laughs) Uh, but the best part of that for me was the discovery of i put it on the list i wanted to include it and then book of boba fett came out and i saw that story and i was like this is
1: amazing amazing. this is you
2: know i was i couldn't take notes fast enough to tell that part of the story with something that i just thought oh this is cool and it's representative of this group um you know and and I think at that point we had, se- we yeah, we had definitely seen them in Mandalorian season two and seen them like cleaning the teeth of their Banthas with it. So I was like, that's a fun little story. Yeah. And then your book of Boba Fett comes out and I was like, I'm going to need another spread. And then everybody this was So like, much more. For yeah. This. yeah, cause I was like, this story just got a lot more intense and interesting. And- uh, Let's give Kristen
3: an entire page of this here. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, Let's oh, just, oh, yeah. Yes. Let's just keep yeah. going.
2: Well, and I think uh, Grievous' mask was also another late edition that when we added it i was like i'm gonna need two pages i'm sorry <laughs> I, there's a lot going on with him and you know there's and i really wanted to incorporate that statue that gives you an idea yeah. of what he his organic physical form looked like right. um you know but that was just a really interesting exercise in uh, with a printed book there's also you know page count and uh there's some wiggle room but uh, you know, we had to be careful. We didn't do two spreads for everything because this thing would have been, you know, enormous. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, Matt, do you have to head out? Is yeah. Our shuttle here.
2: The the That's taxi funny. is downstairs
1: <laughs> beeping.
3: Uh,
2: but yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, no, go! I don't want you to be late.
1: <laughs> no. Have no fun worries. on Batu. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I will for
1: sure. Have a blue milk yes. for me.
2: I will. Yes. I host
3: You all. Uh, thank you so much for coming doll, on. It was yeah, great, great talking doll. to you. So it was definitely so nice talking to
2: you. Uh, have a good one, everybody. Bye. See,
1: you <laughs> See you, Matt. Bye. <laughs> All right, there he goes. Uh, we're still here talking about the book. So, uh, you mentioned uh, items that didn't make the cut. I don't know how much you're allowed to really talk about, but like, um, what were what were some of your favorite items that didn't make the cut?
2: That did not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's and how? Happen. Like,
1: I guess to go off of that, like, what? <laughs> how did it come up to be 100 items? Just because that's like, that, that number kind of just makes sense or?
2: Yeah. So, so that was just the initial pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just the idea. I, I think it's catchy. Um yeah. there also, there is a, a real book, uh, a, a real book. This is a real book, but there, there is another, you know, book or other books um, not related to the series, like 100, 100 objects from history can't remember the title right now uh but like there there's other books that i've seen that you know have like 100 objects and i thought oh, that's a a nice round number um and of course at different points when we were making the list i was both well no i was cursing myself for picking that number because either it was really difficult to to find like the last 10 or 20 because you you start thinking of things that are too duplicative of something else you already have or You know, you start to think of things, and you look on the list, and they're actually higher on the list, and you just have them twice, like (laughs) things like that happen. Or, you know, conversely, at some point, we got to the point where then we had 120 because, like, once you do start get rolling on, um, you know, some of these different weird pockets of items that you don't that that don't spring to mind initially, like the um, Wookiee clarion horn. That was one that uh, I think we discovered through the archives that it existed. And uh, then, you know, of course, oh, my, I, my cat was behind. <laughs> Did you hear him?
4: Yeah.
0: I heard
2: something. <laughs> yeah, he had some input on the, on the appearance on this podcast. That's okay. <laughs> uh, he's, he frequently likes to just yell towards the end of things. Like, he'll be completely silent. And then the last 10 minutes, he's like, Excuse me, you know,
4: yeah,
2: you know, <laughs> cats, cats, gonna cat. Um, I completely lost my train of thought. was saying
0: now, I don't know because you find the one thing and then it it sp- uh, spreads into it's like ten up. other things as it. Yeah, so it's
2: like, oh, I hadn't thought about that, and then I started looking at like the visual encyclopedia and the comprehensive visual dictionary, and just looking at some of these like tiny items that we hadn't fully explored in you with, uh, with text necessarily, but that I knew existed or, you know, we had great photography of them already. So we didn't have to reinvent the wheel there. And so it was, it's funny, you know, just like the different times with the creation of this book, where it'd be like the first 20 is so easy. I could write that list in my sleep. And then it gets a little bit harder and then it gets really, really hard towards 100. And then you start, getting some traction again. And then we have 125 objects. And I'm like, well, this book isn't called 125 objects. <laughs> it's called hundred. We've got <laughs> some things. And, you know, just making those choices. And sometimes it was, you know, the, the imagery or, you know, what's available to us to, to explore on the design front, uh, you know, what works well there. Um, and, you know, so that could be a factor in whether or not something made the cut, you um, We had some really rollicking conversations about droid sentience that were amazing, Uh, in our story meetings. You know, with me and the editor Alistair Dougal and uh, John Hall, the designer. Um, Because towards the end too, we were adding items from, you know, forthcoming or you know just released series like Obi Wan Kenobi and Andor. And so one of the suggestions was putting Lola in. And I was like, absolutely Mm. not. I feel like, which is funny because there's probe droid in there. And that I was fine with, but I was like, Lola is a friend to Leia. And I was like, what does this say if she's in our exhibit? Is she dead? What has happened? And So I was like, we cannot include Lola, I'm sorry. And I was like, I will die on this hill (laughs) for Lola, Um, but not for the probe droid, I'm sorry. It's like the probe droid was like, to me, it was like, Droid is like your robotic vacuum. There's like yeah, a, million, okay, yeah. There's
4: a million of million. Yeah, those I was
2: like, but Lola is like your pet. Like, I was like, you know, we can't have her. I'm sorry. She's great. She's great. She's not an object. I was like, I'll die on this hill. <laughs> uh, with Yoda, it was interesting. On my very first list, you know, it was just like some Yoda item. I knew I wanted something from Yoda. And, uh, you know, then with Book of Boba Fed, I thought, oh, The lightsaber has come back. Should we use the lightsaber? Do we have too many lightsabers? And I thought too many lightsabers. Yoda's lightsaber is great, but no, I'm sorry. He's got other things. And so then I had Yoda's Gimmer Stick for a little while uh, on my list. And then we completely pivoted and did Yoda's Blistle. Because after reading uh, the Star Wars The High Republic Adventures and seeing how much fun yoda is and how he like bakes muffins for children (laughs) uh i thought the fact that this jedi master has this little whistle that he takes this like little pan flute that he takes with him to dagobah in his exile is just a story i want to explore more like the 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 gat the gimmer stick is great uh and there's some really interesting lore where i don't know if it still stands but you know that he could chew on it for nutrients hmm. uh, you know and there's like a lot of interesting pieces to that and it would have been a fine object but i was just really thrilled that we could include the blissel because i thought this is this is a story about yoda's playful side and that's the yoda that you first meet in empire strikes back too you know he's a little he's a little silly and he's just he's not the the super serious jedi master um and so I was just delighted that we could include something that explored that facet of the character instead of, you know just going with lightsaber, which I also thought for somebody who's so peaceful, lightsaber for Yoda felt kind of wrong as a yeah. an item to represent. Um, you know, and, and gimmer stick, you know, would have been great, but I was like, Blissel, it's blissle. <laughs> That's that's no, like
0: what I like love about this book though, is that it's it's more than just the helmets, it's more than just the lightsabers. It is just like these little random things that you might see. Cause like you always like see that Yoda's wearing it around his neck in Empire, and it's just like, what is that? Is he like carrying around like a pack of like chips or something? But like, no, he's <laughs> like it's it's actually an <laughs> item, not just yeah. But like, um, but to fully pivot. Um, what was your favorite helmet or mask that you selected in this book? Oh,
2: yeah. So that's actually a surprisingly easy one for me because uh I love Boosh! I love the Boosh disguise. I have said for years, and I still haven't done it. If I if I did a cosplay where I created armor, I know it's so it's hard to do. Like it's one of the most difficult ones because I talked to people like the Five Hundred First about it, and they're like, "Why are you choosing the thing that is difficult to to go out of the gate with?" But I was like, I just love it the most, um, and I I love the story that has unfolded, especially in recent years, where you know it's such a, a to me like an iconic look. Um, And just such a great moment where Leia, you know, pulls it off and it's, you know, you get to see who's actually saving Han Solo. And so I I love all of those elements about it. I love that it's a a representative of Leia, but also that now it has this whole other story where we have a comic on Boosh and we also have, you know, that uh, Forces of Destiny short where you see her trying, you know, getting the armor. Uh, before she goes over to um, before she goes over to Tatooine, and also we have, I think there, there's also a comic uh, beyond the the Boosh comic where there's like a, a side mission where she's like trying out if she can if she can actually pass as as Boosh because if she can't fool some of these other bounty hunters, you know, is she going to be able to fool Jabba and and actually execute this mission? So I just love that there's so much lore now around it too, but I would have picked it anyway, because it is my favorite. And I just love the look of it. And I could have, I could have talked enough to, to fill that page <laughs> just based yeah. on that.
1: That's a great choice. Um, which, uh, which item in the museum do you think would be under the toughest security or the tightest Ooh. security? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think probably one of the Sith objects, because that just feels right for like somebody Mm -hmm. to come in there and and steal it and do something nefarious with it. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to say the Sith lightsabers, probably, because I feel like somebody with really bad intentions is on their way to to break in and and steal those. Like those those belong (laughs) in a vault. They (laughs) do, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>
1: it belongs in a museum. Yeah. Um, and they
2: are easier to steal because you just like smash and grab and you can, you know, just put them in your, put them in your cloak and leave versus like, can you imagine trying to get the bower relief out with like three of your friends <laughs> past security? Like we it's, can do this. so right. heavy. It's enormous. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, one of the, one of my favorite things I learned from the book was that uh, Max Rebo's um uh, he has his little drawer for snacks like in in his instrument so what what was one of you probably have a lot but what was something you didn't really know going into researching that you learned that was just like a great little fact like that
2: so i got to say i am so delighted that you loved that particular piece oh, of the amazing Mastermind story because that was actually one of the the great privileges of doing this book was there's so much lore about so many of these items already. And we pulled from all of that, but then occasionally I would add something. And that is one of the things I added because I just thought Max oh, nice. deserves a little snack drawer. I, he's hungry all the time. Like the lore is that he's constantly eating, but he's also up there playing for hours at a time. How is he going to do both? He's got a snack drawer. He like, exactly. He deserves it. He deserves that snack drawer. <laughs> and so there were occasional moments where we got to add to to the story in really fun ways. Um, the one that's most personal for me is actually in the the Wookiee Clarion Horn. Uh, I'm going to go back a ways, but in 2020, when we were doing this week in Star Wars from home, uh, I was visiting uh, my some of my friends and family in Pennsylvania for a couple of months. So the the corner of the living room I was in changed for a couple of weeks, and I was in a new location. Uh, you know, getting near the holidays. And so I borrowed my friend's dog to be on our life day episode and we wrapped him in a red robe and I dressed up as Leia. and uh, his name is Porter. And, you know, we, we did this whole little, little bit at the beginning of the show. And he, he was, he's since passed, but he's this massive, he was this massive doodle that was like 95 pounds, but thought he was a lap dog. So every time I would go to her house, he would sit on my lap and I would be like crushed under the the weight of him. <laughs> But in like a really delightful way, you know, yeah, because yeah. He, he really just thought he was still like a small puppy, I guess, and that this was fine. Um, but he was like the kind of dog that when he greeted you, like if he was too excited, he could put his paws on your shoulders and just like be above you. So like very wookie like So when we got to the clarion horn... Um, I had asked some questions of Lucasfilm and Story Group to try to ascertain if maybe, you know, there was some lore that I wasn't aware of, Uh, but I really wanted to kind of set in a little bit more specificity with that item, Uh, you know, with the the pattern on it. And there's like a little Wookiee, like, face that you can see. Uh, And we ended up not being too specific with who that Wookiee face is, but they did allow me to name the Wookiee tribe that this came from. And so I took Porter's name and I made it very Star Wars and it's got like five extra R's now in it. Uh, but the Porter tribe is named for, for that dog. And so that was just a lovely moment for me to, to really put something that is personally meaningful to me and to, to build into the Star Wars lore, which is just an opportunity I never fathomed I would have in my entire life. Uh, and now I've gotten to do it a, you know, a couple of times, especially with this book. Uh, When we had places where we were dealing with something that was more obscure and there just wasn't lore around it. And so we had the opportunity to add to it, um, which I don't think I've ever like giggled quite as loud to an email as when they when I got that message that said, you know, oh, we're not going to name it. And it doesn't have a name. What does Kristen want to name it? I was like, does Kristen want to name it? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) she sure does. (laughs) Uh,
1: I didn't. That's that's so cool. that's such a cool detail i love when people add little details that are especially when it's something um very special like that into Mm -hmm. star wars like we've talked with um landry walker who wrote the side on athano uh crimson corsair stuff yeah he's kind of added some of that stuff in his um, pre-force awakens books and stuff um i think we've talked to adam christopher and he's done something similar so like
0: yeah yes. i just think my, i just think that's favorite, so cool my favorite one from his is like he named um a collection of sith artifacts after his uh, publisher or his editor as well so e Schaefer, right. um, yeah or and then recently someone for us locally created like a, a bunch of sith relics <gasps> oh, but yes. his his name is actually like Eric Schaefer. Um, so it's someone totally different, but also E. Schaefer, the Eschefer. Oh. Um, so they've had this like little connection now because he created these Sith artifacts and like Adam wrote the story, and so like it's been very cool. And I hope that they get to cross paths officially one day. But um
1: I love that stuff. Yeah,
0: that's really
2: cool, guys. Yeah. I am I'm a big fan of Adam Christopher's uh for for so many reasons, but you know, especially because of that book and uh you know I, I love that story. But also on a personal note, uh, that droid KB six eight, and I, I love her. I love oh, her yeah. So. K-
1: KB. Yeah. <laughs>
2: oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I knew he w- he asked me about it before he did it, and but I didn't know what role the droid had, so I expected it to be like quite small. Wow. And then she's like a complete badass. Yeah. yeah. And I just absolutely you know, adore that character. Uh, but I, I think I would love that character regardless, but, you know, it's, it's really, it's really quite special to me and, and humbling uh, that, that he did that, you know, for, for me as well as i love that he did that for Elizabeth. Elizabeth deserves it <laughs> she,
4: mm-hmm. She's done
2: so much for, for Star Wars storytelling on the Delray side, her and Tom, um, you know, they're, they're just champions of uh, editorial and, you know, the editors on these books never get enough credit for everything that they do, you know, as the writer, your name is on it, and you get to do all the interviews, and people associate it with you, and that—that's all well and good because you know there's obviously a tremendous amount that goes in from the writer, but you cannot sleep on a good editor. Like editors, somehow, I—I think I've, I've really lucked out with really great editors, uh, and if—if if we want to talk about timelines too, I feel like they're the editors yeah. more than any other project I've had. I think their names deserve to be on that front page with everybody, with everyone who also wrote the text because they just did such an amazing job of steering that enormous ship <laughs> that was timelines. Um, you know, but just in general, I think I, I really appreciate all the editors I've had who are, you know, compassionate and great to work with and, uh, but also who who make the text better. Who when you know I send the, my best effort in and they bring it back to me and it's better, and you know I, and and they find errors that I can't see myself because you know when you're when you're writing you read it six times and it looks perfect and then someone else looks at it and they find the one typo, and you need that you need somebody else with with clear eyes to to look at something. But it's also been wonderful with hundred objects in particular. I had the same editor I had for Skywalker. And he was not a huge Star Wars expert. You know, he's a fan, but he wasn't like deep in the the weeds with the lore when we started the project. And that was so helpful because he would ask me questions. He would question things that, to me, were like, "Oh no!" But everybody knows that. And he'd be like, uh, "The the big the example that comes to mind in Skywalker was I couldn't say that Darth Maul had died." In that first chapter on the battle in Nabu yeah. And he kept coming back with these edits where he was like, I you're kind of writing long here, and I really think we could just you know make it more succinct by just saying, like, and he died. And I was like, Well, but we can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was like, he's <laughs> chapter seven, uh, he's coming back. It doesn't seem like he could, but trust me. So <laughs> we have these like great conversations, uh, you know, like that, where I I love seeing it through that lens and getting that kind of feedback where it's like, oh yeah, this this isn't just obvious to everyone uh, because not everyone has seen all of these movies, read all of these books, you know, watched all of the series. So having kind of that voice coming in and learning it for the first time was really helpful because it also told me that what we were doing worked well if this was one of your early entry points and that was what i always wanted especially with that book in terms of not making it something where you feel like you have to have done any homework but if you come into a cold i'm going to spoil a lot of things about the saga i'm sorry but <laughs> you shouldn't feel you're lost or left behind at any point it should still give you all of the the information that you need to understand this story
1: yeah, yeah. and that's a lot of that's good with a lot of star wars material where you can kind of go in whether it's a show, comic, you know, any, any sort of medium you can go in. And if you're new to the fandom or new to the, new to the thing you're going to, you know, you're going to feel kind of welcome and not too overwhelmed usually. So, and yeah. I mean, I think this is a very cool people for, I hate to say like casual fans, but like, it's like going to a museum. I mean, I yeah, go to a museum yeah. about, you know, something and I have no idea what it's about, but I want to learn about that. So
2: yeah. Michael, cool. with being a star Wars author now has always been I want to write a book that when I was a kid first discovering Star Wars and falling in love with it that I would have wanted to pick up and be immersed in and you know I think so far I've done that in terms of for me personally when I finish a book I think no this is something that little Kristen would have loved she would have asked for it for her birthday or Christmas and she would have devoured it um And I can definitely see that I think happening with young fans and just all fans, fans of all ages, but with Timelines in particular, it's the kind of thing that I loved trivia. I wanted to know everything about everything in Star Wars, uh, you know, when I first fell in love with it and Timelines delivers, I think in spades on, oh, you wanna know everything? (laughs) Here it is.
0: So I, I think that one of one of my like last questions, just to kind of like wrap it up with it, is like, how does it feel really to be one of the ones to write all of, to essentially like curate and write this lore that other future creators will be referencing?
2: Terrifying, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's it was a it was a little daunting, for sure, going into it, uh, and I think part of that was because when we first talked about the project. It it seemed simpler than it was, you know. In my mind, I thought, yeah, you know, you order all of the books. We know where all the all of the books fall on the timeline already. Then you get into the the weeds of the details of what happens in those books, and that's the timeline, easy peasy. And then, of course, you start doing the research and really realizing how many things interconnect and how many things are happening simultaneously, and even just in the course of a single battle. Uh, it's not as simple as saying this is the order of events. It's looking at, okay, there's something happening in the stars and there's something happening on the ground and there's something happening below ground too. And then sometimes these two things come back together. And how do we represent that visually to make it clear that this is what's happening and that it's not just... And also, I think in terms of visual design, of course, I'm a writer, not a designer, but I imagine a, an entire book of just one straight line would be a little boring over time. So, you know, I thought it was really masterful the way that they represented those things. And they, you know, invited us as the writers to deliver off poorly drawn representations of what we thought each of those pages should look like, uh, especially when it came to like a battle page. Um, you know they asked us to kind of draw out what you roughly think it should be and I was like I I don't know I hope this is right does this make sense um because everything else we were working on was really like spreadsheet based so there was just like a grid of information that they then had to incorporate into the design
1: but with, <laughs> with timelines there's so much stuff in there and how did you guys kind of all work together to get all the the history of the galaxy in there and uh, yeah you, as you just kind of said you guys don't miss a beat with anything like you even have Hera and Cannon Kiss was one of the things. And like, that's, it's such a special thing, but it's such a small thing compared to, yeah. Yeah, so I good. think
2: that was Amy Raquel put that one in. Um, I, I I think that, yeah, no, I think that credit goes to her. Um, so again, I guess I, I just have to hand it back to the editors on this one, because even though, you know, there's five authors on it and, you know, we did work together on things, um, as opposed to like when I was working on the year by year update a couple years ago, Uh, somebody had asked me, like, oh, what was like to work with Pablo Hidalgo? And I was like, I do work with Pablo on other things, but I didn't work with him on this because his part of the job was done years before I started on it. And, you know, so I really was just kind of like picking up the baton and running with it on that one. But this one, of course, you know, all five of us are working in concert and working at the same time and, uh, you know, dividing and conquering this amazing and enormous timeline. But I think that the credit of the collaboration really belongs with the editors, uh, especially the, the DK team um, because they just, you know, they, they, they took it and they were the ones that, you know, ran through all of the, uh, you know, con- a lot of the conversations with Lucasfilm, with Story Group to, you know, make sure that things were lining up where they needed to be. You know, as authors, we were included in some of those as well, but, you know, definitely, uh, I think the the editors really deserve so much credit on this project for getting it to the finish line and having it come to fruition. And on the Lucasfilm side as well, um, you know Brett Rector, um, whose name you will see uh, in that big list, uh, was was steering the ship. On, you know on that side of things. So you just had multiple editors who were getting this to the point where we would actually have this physical book. Um, so yeah, I think all of the credit for for us w- getting to work together in and for working goes to to that team for sure for to the editors.
0: Yes, thank thank you, guys. thank you guys. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it's it's incredible. Like I I am obsessed with both of these projects, and um, yes, just all of that. Um, so thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, uh, my last and final question is, um, who is your favorite glupshito?
2: <laughs> it's a great, it's I love a great this question, question. it's it. a great question oh it's so hard uh all right i'm gonna name somebody and you tell me if they count all right does size noodles count as a glitch? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> forever. So I forever. I
0: am obsessed with the, that little like meme right now. of Just opening like a fridge and she's just like singing. So. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, Someone <laughs> sent that to me the other day, but they were in a microwave. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah right? I love it. I feel like the Max Rebo band is having a moment. And I am 100% here for it. <laughs> uh, for yeah. yeah. No. And Cy uh, Sai is more my favorite Glove Shido now than before. Um, because and I it's like the one thing I can talk about with this project so far. But uh I had the chance to write a story from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi, which is coming oh, right. um, yes. this year. And uh on my you know, we we did get to to choose our choose our fighter, and so and I had the hardest time picking because I love so many characters in Return of the Jedi, and I'm a huge Akbar fan, and I love Mon Mothma, and you know there's so many people who are in so many characters who are in that movie to choose from, but Sisa Noodles won, and <laughs> she won out, and I'm just I'm so glad she did because I I was, was so pleased to spend so much more time with her and exploring uh, this this part of her story.
0: Yes. I'm looking forward to it. Like I, excited, I love yeah. any additional content on that. So, um, so yes, thank you again um, for anyone, for our listeners and viewers who might not be following you have no idea who you are. Um, where can they find you on social media?
2: Yes. Uh, if they're new <laughs> to this, uh, <laughs> they can absolutely find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Kristen Baver um, on y- on the bookshelves, hopefully in your local library, but as well as uh, you know, in your local bookstore, uh, with a number of titles now, which is insane to me. It's so many that when I try and list them out in my Instagram bio, it yells at me that I have used too many characters, <laughs> which is a crazy problem to have. No. Um, I never thought I would have that problem, but here we are, uh, and it's it's such a a privilege and a bizarre place to live. Um, So yes, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Kristen Baver, and every Thursday on This Week in Star Wars, on StarWars.com and the Star Wars YouTube channel, and regularly contributing to StarWars.com editorial, as well as Star Wars Insider.
0: Yes yes um thank you Kristen um thank you so much and so we can find everything for Holland up Marauders um, on Twitter at Holland at Marauder Instagram at Holland at Marauders and yeah we'll see you guys next time in the Holland up Marauders podcast
1: go check out these books. <laughs> <laughs>